before we um, get, keep going, just a couple of things. Um, my past life, I was a coach, and so I'm going to coach y'all just a little bit. Next week is um, it's Easter. It's a big week in the life of the church, and it means that there will be quite a few um, unfamiliar faces, probably, walking around our church at breakfast and um, I encourage you to wear a smile, right, to be welcoming. Hospitality is one of the greatest ways that we as a church can impact our community. And part of that is like these chairs down here that um, never have things, people in them. It's a good idea for people that are here all the time to take these seats up, right, because we anticipate quite a few people coming. And if you're a visitor, first time to another church in an in a unfamiliar place, do you ever want to just come and sit right in the front, right where everybody can just eyeball you, right? So let's be really courteous. Let's make sure that we're sitting um, where seats are available and, and those sort of things and be ready to move if we need to move and all those little things that help people that maybe won't. Uh, maybe they'll never come back. Maybe they're visiting from out of town. Maybe you'll have visitors from out of town. So think about the way you would want them to be treated. Just a little um, insight, but these seats are always open down here, um, just so you know if you're ever so inclined. No pressure uh, whatsoever. Um, I don't spit, right, Dylan? I don't. So um, just keep that in mind. All right, so today, um, just as a little disclaimer, um, heads up, it is a family Sunday, and, uh, but today we probably won't have a typical resolution at the end that it may normally, and, uh, and the content is kind of heavy, so um, it's not like graphic, it's not bad, but it's heavy, right, because we're talking about the cross. That's where we're at in our 24 uh, series, and so just know that that's coming down um, towards the end. So, parades. Have you ever been a part of a parade? You can all raise your hand, yes, because you were today, right? You didn't, um, you didn't wave a palm branch, but you were a part of it. You watched them all. I think three or four of you even smiled at the kids, which is awesome, and uh, they, they like that. They like smiles. But parades, um, they're fun, right? And they're, they're famous. There's some famous ones, like the Rose Bowl Parade. Um, if you have ever seen B-Movie, you know what I'm talking about. The Rose Bowl wouldn't come, uh, wouldn't be possible unless we had bees. And, uh, and then there's the Macy's Day Parade uh, with the big float, you know, the big balloons going down uh, the streets of New York City. Pretty cool. That would be a fun experience to be a part of someday. We, we use parades to celebrate specific things, right? St. Patrick, Patrick's Day, they usually have a, uh, it, there's a lot of parades, I think, that, that surround that, uh, that particular holiday. Uh, not, about a month ago, the Chiefs, they had a parade, right, because they won the Super Bowl. Oh, come on, nobody? Seriously? I mean, come on. They won. They, don't take it for granted, people. It took 50 years between one and the other, so I'm just saying. Um, and so they, that was fun, and like a million people showed up to that parade. Um, but parades are not just for the big time, okay? They're not. Uh, growing up in BS, I, that's Bonner Springs. Bonner Springs. If you know, you know, Wyandotte County. Um, but that's the way we um, referred to it. 
there was the Thibodeau Day Parade. It was always towards the end of August, or uh, yeah, August, and, or the beginning of August, and it kind of ushered in the school year, and uh, it was always a good time because I didn't have to work that Saturday afternoon at the farm, and uh, I got to go play and hang out with friends. Um, there was always a homecoming parade where the football players got to ride on the fire truck, big tradition, you know. Uh, we, we moved to Olathe. When I moved to Olathe and Angie and I were married, the, there was the Old Settlers Day Parade. Have you ever been to Old Settlers Day in Olathe? It was a huge parade. At times, during ministry for Upward, our kids would be in the parade. We had a float and everything, but we would sometimes we'd just get Grange Pups, uh, which is just a hot dog on a stick with like pancake batter on it. It was fantastic. Um, and we just watched the parade, and they were fun. And even in some small towns, parades, they, they have them where they go down one side, and the parade will turn around and come back, right? That way you can see both sides of it, and it makes it twice as long. Um, and, even, you know, here in Emporia, we have uh, a, a lot of parades for Veterans Day and Christmas and homecoming, and it's fantastic. So uh, we've been a part of that as a church, and they're fun to be a part of, right? Um, unless you don't get the candy that they throw out. Um, so have you ever been part of a spontaneous parade? That's a little different, right? Nowadays, they'd probably call it a flash mob, but uh, um, a spontaneous parade maybe complete with waving foliage, uh, one that prompted you to take your jacket off, throw it on the ground, right? Have you ever been a part of one of those? Probably not. Um, but there was a parade like that at one time. And it started on a Sunday, a Sunday just like today. It was probably a little later in the day, maybe mid-afternoon. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a colt. And um, people noticed, they noticed him. Not the first time Jesus had been in Jerusalem, okay? But this time they saw him and they were prompted to uh, the magnitude of the moment. They, they saw it, and they, they, were, they were struck by Jesus riding into town on this colt. And they found some palm branches, and they cut them down. They threw those on the ground in front of them. They, some held on to them, and they waved them around. And they threw their coats on the ground as a sign of respect. And uh, they sang, Hosanna, Hosanna. They shouted out loud, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David, and it was a celebration. The scene was super intense with enthusiasm, okay? Think of uh, Arrowhead Stadium during the player introductions with all the smoke and the fire things. That's what it would be like today if that's what was happening uh, for Jesus. They would have found a fog machine somewhere when Jesus was coming through, okay? Because that's, that's the way it would be today. But people saw Jesus in a different light at this time. For whatever reason, right? Because it was time for Jesus to do what he was on this earth to do. And, you know, he'd come to Jerusalem many times with zero fanfare, no palm branches, no crowds, probably not even an acknowledgement that, oh, there goes Jesus. No, there's nothing that says anything in Scripture that they just, uh, people would do this when he came to town. But this spontaneous parade that they had was fit for a king. They saw the significance. And not everyone in the crowd was excited for, uh, for Jesus to be doing what he was doing. The Pharisees, obviously, they're always the bad guys, right? The Pharisees, they call out to Jesus when he's going by, Hey, Jesus, stop them from telling you 
that you are, you know, that you are the coming king of David. Cut it out. And on his way by, he just said, sorry, guys. If they stopped, even the rocks would cry out. That was the time. It was Jesus' time. And, and in this time, he knew what was ahead of him in just five days. But here's the deal. He was very comfortable, very comfortable with the timing of everything. He was comfortable doing what he was doing. He didn't call for everybody to throw this big to-do when he came to town. They just did it. And he was comfortable in that setting. So today, we've, we've come to this final few hours of Jesus' time before he dies on the cross. And it started about 4 p.m. On, on Thursday afternoon. And we've kind of reviewed all this. And we've covered about 16 hours of this last day of Jesus' life over the last three weeks. We talked about the table and how he, Jesus asked his followers to do that in remembrance of him, to and whenever we take communion, it's something that we um, reflect on what he did for us on the cross. And, and we talked about the garden and the struggles that Jesus encountered uh, internally that he had to prayerfully consider and surrender after hours and hours of, of um, really just abiding, okay, just like we sang about. And then last week we talked about the trial, that Jesus didn't speak much, but he spoke enough. Enough to um, get him convicted and condemned. Uh, and listen, it was, a, it was a jacked up trial that should never have happened because he was perfect. And they tried literally everything they could do to find something wrong with Jesus so they could condemn him to death. And they just made it up and did it anyway. Now, um, we've come to the cross. The final six hours of our 24-hour period. But before we get too deep into it, I, I want to point out this personality trait that, uh, that Jesus has while he's here on earth. That we read in scripture that none of us probably embrace a lot. Okay, But in Jesus' ministry, he encountered um, a significant amount of adversity, I would say. Would you agree? Okay, you're not out there. Okay. Um, once, you know, one, once they saw Jesus, th these Pharisees, let's, let's talk about them. They were the, the, the kingpins of his adversity. And once they saw the following that Jesus had, uh, they were constantly trying to find a way to discredit, to disown, and get Jesus out of the picture. Uh, and, and they were following, they followed him everywhere too, listening to what he was saying, trying to catch him with just one word or saying something wrong, or doing something wrong. And multiple times, these religious professionals would encounter Jesus. And it would get pretty tense if it was me, but he was God in a body. It was a little easier for him. He was comfortable because he knew that the power within him was going to overcome one way or the other. Maybe not on that particular day, but down the road, say in about five days from now, that he was going to overcome. The types of questions that they would, they would question him verbally in front of a big crowd to make a big deal about things. They would do this on purpose, hoping that he would say one word wrong. That's all I would say. And um, it was the type of questions that they felt were unanswerable, most likely because they couldn't answer them. And so Jesus always had an answer. A lot of times it was in the form of a question back to them. 
He, he did a great job of, of being comfortable in those moments. But one wrong answer would have destroyed his credibility completely. But he was always there with the right words at the right time. And it didn't seem to matter what they were talking about. He also had these disciples. The disciples that followed him everywhere, they, they were kind of uh, a source of adversity too, right? They, they uh, didn't always um, catch on really well. You know, they, uh, they, they did their best, obviously. But these guys, they tested Jesus' patience. They had to. Um, because not everything that Jesus said, they understood. They didn't get it all the way. They got to, to some of the way, but they couldn't see it for what Jesus was saying all the time. Um, they didn't respond to others the way Jesus would in every situation. And in every one of those, um, Jesus would, would just teach them. He would redirect them. He would encourage them. This is the way that the kingdom looks like. If you're my follower, this is what you do. And on and on, we have those examples of how Jesus was comfortable in those moments. And I know that Jesus really had no reason to be anxious. He mentions that multiple times, to not be anxious. Do not worry. Because uh, he knew that that would be a problem for you and for me. Because we like to worry. We're anxious. We don't like adversity when it's right here in our face. Sometimes we like it from afar, especially when it doesn't involve us, right? We like to see how things are going to unfold, how people are going to react. Um, but in the last six hours, after three plus years of being comfortable, if you will, Jesus was anything but comfortable here. And uh, you'll be patient with me today. I want to read all four of the gospel accounts, not like the whole book, all right? Um, and today... We're, we're not going to end things um, with Jesus' death on the cross. We, we, that's something that we kind of reserve for our Good Friday service and our Tenebrae service. So come to that. If the, um, but today, we're, we're addressing the cross. In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they talk about this specific thing. This whole story is, is throughout all four Gospels, and we get a little bit of a, a different take from each person uh, that wrote it, depending on who, who is writing about the encounter, right? And, but you layer them all together, and some of the words, they just are like they were copying it down off of a blackboard, right? Um, sorry, grease board. Nobody uses chalk anymore. Um, today, uh, we're going to address those things, and um, I'm just going to ask you to listen to all... Uh, all um, this, this one phrase over and over again. Um, in, in all four of them, it says specifically this phrase. And they'll be highlighted so you can see, and it'll be easier for you to, to acknowledge. But it's not, not a ton. It's actually just uh, like 16 verses total. But here's the account from Matthew. Matthew in, in chapter um, 27, verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. That's Matthew's account. We move on to Mark. 
Mark's uh, account sounds very similar. In, in chapter 15, uh, verse 21, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing on his way by from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which is known as the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see each what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The, the, the written notice, the charge against him, read, The King of the Jews. And we move on to Luke. In Luke chapter 23, um, four verses divided by a couple. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene. Do you feel sorry for Simon yet? Uh, who, uh, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way into the, in from the country, and they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. And down to verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And then on from John's account in, in chapter 19, <clears throat> verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his cross. He went out to the place of the skull. See, John doesn't point out Simon. And um, the other gospels don't point out that there were two other guys that were there. That It's interesting how all these details come unfolded. So the soldiers took charge of the cross. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. There they crucified him and with two others, one on, the each, one on each side of Jesus and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. When we read these passages, and they're familiar, okay, we, especially at this time of the year when we focus in on Easter, when we read these passages, I think we could probably all admit that we just read right over it. They crucified him. And then we go on. They crucified him. There, they crucified him. And Jesus was crucified. And if you're a Jesus follower and have committed your life to him, it's because of that sacrifice for our sins. So, when the, the scripture says they crucified him, it's, it's important. And that phrase means something. But do we understand what it means? And they crucified him. There, they crucified him. I'd, I'd have to say that most of the time, we just read right through it. And we don't see and feel and understand what that really means. I, I, you know, no one here, I would say, has ever witnessed a crucifixion, right? Because they don't happen anymore. They're, they're not a thing. And, and so we're going to just read around. But if you lived in first century Jerusalem, when this was taking place, when you heard that word or you read that word after Jesus, the story of Jesus' uh, resurrection and he ascends into heaven and, and these documents... Um, we start to come into light in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. When they write it, and you hear it in A.D. 100, they would have, you heard that word crucified him 
you heard those words, it would have startled you. It would have made you sit down and sick to your stomach. They were, because they had actually witnessed crucifixion. They'd been a part of it before. They had seen it happen physically. That all the sights and the smells and uh, all the emotion that's in that, they were there. And that word would have floored every one of them. And sometimes we just kind of read right over it. It's not a bad thing. We just don't understand all the time what Jesus really did for me and what he did for you when he sacrificed his life for our sins. So think of the worst torture movie ever, the worst thing that um, could be imagined, and crucifixion is probably worse, right? So to a person that saw crucifixion, the ones who were writing it down, that word, it had depth to it. And there was no comfort, no comfort in crucifixion. Here's what I mean. They would take the feet and they would, on a vertical beam, they would take a nail, a spike really, and they would drive that nail through both ankle bones so the, the feet would stay in place on that vertical beam. And all of the weight of the person being crucified would be on that spike through your ankle bones, right? So um, there's no comfort in that. And depending on the length of the nail, sometimes they would use one, sometimes they would use two, just depending on their supplies and things like that. But from there, um, the person being executed, they would have to push their body up in order to continue to breathe. And um, all of their weight would go through those, that spike, through their ankle bones. Then they would take the hands. And the hands and the arms, they were attached to a, a cross beam that would be fitted onto the vertical beam where the feet were already attached. And again, depending on the supply, the hands would be nailed through the wrists. Or sometimes if they didn't have, they would, they would tie their arms. Um, the, the purpose would be to put all the weight in one specific location. So um, the nails would go through the wrist, and as the person would, would be on the cross, all of their weight, all of their body weight would go through those two nails while they tried to relax their feet. And so this process of crucifixion, it, it would most, a lot of times it would take days for a person to die. Because you didn't die from the wounds, the, the, the spikes, the nails that were driven through their bodies. No, what, what would happen is the person would, would die, uh, they would either suffocate from overexertion and dehydration and exhaustion. And it would last for days sometimes. Eventually, what would happen is they, they would slide down the vertical beam. And they could not inhale, so they would push their, they would pull up through the nails, they would push up through the, and get their chest high enough to be able to expand their chest and take in air. But eventually, the body gives out, right? And all of this stress placed on the hands, all the stress placed on their feet, exhaustion would come, the shock of the pain, the body adapts, right? But eventually, they would not have the ability to, um, to take in 
um, a breath because all that weight would eventually give out and they couldn't inhale. Their diaphragm would cramp. Their intercostal muscles, their ribcage muscles would cramp up and, and you wouldn't be able to expand anymore. And when that happens, your lungs fill with fluids and most of them would die from asphyxia, right? Or suffocation. There's no comfort involved in a crucifixion. And beyond the crucifixion, you think about what we've read in Scripture, normally there would be some kind of a punishment before they were executed. Like um, Pilate said, well, we're going to have Jesus flogged and then released. Well, they had him flogged before, which is just uh, this whip. Um, they, they would use 39, they would strike a person 39 times because they thought that the 40th time would kill the person. And this whip was just like a, a, a frayed piece of leather with pieces of glass and rock in it tied to the end. So when it would smack into the back, they would rip it down and the flesh would just become um, un, unrecognizable on their back. So you think about that and they're placed on that vertical beam in the up and the down process of trying to breathe while your back, which is bleeding and, and pained in pain, up and down against that wooden cross. No comfort in a crucifixion. It's why when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote their account of Jesus giving up his life on the cross, they simply said, and they crucified him. Because when that word was used, that's the, whatever you're picturing right now is what they saw every time. And it was, it was a common experience. Roman soldiers, they were professional executioners, and they would post, they would crucify people outside of the city walls in lines. So as people came in, it would be a deterrent to people who were going to threaten their way of life. That if you go against Rome, this is what's going to happen to you. That's why they would experience the smells and the sights and the emotion involved. And that's how the Son of God was killed. On display, Jesus was killed in front of a crowd. Naked and beaten. With two other criminals. Jesus stepped out of his comfort into that kind of death for you and for me. So that death, that death is what Christmas is all about. We celebrate Christmas for a lot of different ways in our culture and a lot of different reasons, but that death is what Christmas is all about. That death is what the miracles that Jesus had done over the last three years, it's what it was all about. All the teachings that Jesus, the sermons, the things that he had said, that death that he experienced when they crucified him is what that was all about. It was his sole purpose for coming to earth. And he willfully submitted to that death, even though he didn't have to, right? Jesus was willing to step out of his comfort and give us the greatest gift imaginable. Enduring great physical pain. And on the cross, all the sin of the world were laid on Jesus. 
Because of that sin, Jesus was separated from God. Sin, so everyone is a sinner. Sin is what separates us from God. And, um, you know, sin doesn't make us bad. We're all sinners. Sin makes us dead. We've said that before. The wages of sin is death. And so um, all of those sins were laid on Jesus. All the sins from the past, all the sins till right now, all the sins in the future were laid on Jesus at that time. And he saw you when he was on that cross. And he saw your sin and he did it anyway. And it's, it's humbling and, and it's awe-inspiring and awe, it's just awesome in, in the worst way possible, isn't it? But somebody did that for you. Not just somebody. The perfect Lamb of God did that for you. And um, that separation that Jesus experienced from God was the worst pain that he could take. The nails, the, the, the beatings, that, that was temporary. But the separation from God, that was what hurt him the most. And the same is true for us, right? It's the worst possible thing to be separated from God. And um, our sin does that to us. It separates us from God. But Jesus dies on the cross for us as an atonement for our sin. He paid for it. We don't have to worry about it. We just have to accept that free gift of grace that's extended to us. And that sacrifice of Jesus bridges the gap between us, that separation between us and our sins, and a holy God. So the cross, the final three hours of Jesus' life, it says... Um, that at 9 o'clock in the morning, Jesus was crucified. At noon, by then, he had died. And there was darkness for three hours. And we've come full circle, a full 24 hours. The cross, he endured more. Um, he endured more physical pain than we can imagine, right? And I hope that every time that you read this account of any of the four Gospels, that you get the weight of what Jesus went through for us. And a better idea of what that means, that we don't just read over and they crucified him. He endured more spiritual, uh, he, he endured spiritual burden that we can never imagine, right? Every sin ever was laid on him. The perfect, that the, Jesus' perfect heart, and he felt that every one of them, and he felt every sin, and they saw the person he was dying for, and he endured more spiritual pain than we could ever fathom. Being separated from the Heavenly Father is the ultimate death sentence, and that's important because one day we're all going to stand in front of him, and there will be some that are separated for eternity. Because they chose not to follow Jesus and to accept that gift of grace that was made available by Jesus on the cross. And that's why we're here today. That's why 
our goal as a church is to lead others into a grace-filled relationship with Jesus Christ because people are, uh, people are going to spend eternity somewhere. And we get the opportunity to share this story of the crucifixion of Jesus and next, next week we are going to celebrate the resurrection because that's what made it real, right? But that spiritual pain that he endured, he did that for you and for me. So three questions today. What are you, what are we comfortable with in our lives? We talked about how Jesus was comfortable with adversity and how he dealt with people. What are we really comfortable with? In our lives. The second question is this Are we too comfortable with some of the things in our lives that take the place of uh, the saving grace of Jesus and we decide, well, that's not important right now, but it is, right? So, what are we comfortable with? What are we too comfortable with? And the, the last thing I really want us to, to focus on, and these are, this is what I'm talking about. We're going to pray and we're going to go home because there's no resolution to this. This is something that's on your heart today that I want you to think about all week long and pray about as we approach Friday and feel the weight of what Jesus went through for us. And are we willing to step out of our comfort and follow Jesus? Because it's not always easy. Because sometimes he doesn't move the mountains like we sang about today. Sometimes he just chooses to walk with us through the stuff that we're in, right? So are we willing to step out of our comfort and follow Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so thankful for everything that your son Jesus went through for us. We cannot express our gratitude enough in any word available in our language that would come close to how amazing someone else would do, it is that someone else would do that for me. And you did it for the whole world. So Father, as we go this week, as, as we go into our week, help us to have heavy hearts knowing that separation from you as a holy God is not something that we want to endure for eternity. And we don't want anyone else to either. That, that when people encounter us, we invite them to come to Easter, to whenever, the next thing, to Bible study, whatever it takes, because we don't want anyone to be separated from you for eternity. Because that's the ultimate death that anyone could experience. As we go this week, Lord, we pray for your, your humble encouragement in our lives. That we'll reflect on you this week and the things that you did for us. And we'll be very careful to give you the glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And amen. Have a good week. And take this with you. And we hope to see you next week on a great Resurrection Sunday. God bless you.